What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Overstated MBA Show. We have a very, very special episode for you today. We have friend of the program, Nathan Grubel, Draft Deeper, at Draft Deeper on Twitter. This guy has been with us since the beginning. This guy is going to be on ESPN pretty soon. He is the scouting mastermind. I wanted him to come on. I want to get his thoughts on the NCAA tournament, kind of uh, his draft prospects a little bit. And then, of course, he's a diehard Philly fan. We are unfortunately... I am an idiot and decided to have him on on a Tuesday, and it's currently the third quarter of Milwaukee and Philly, and his Philadelphia 76ers are beating my Milwaukee Bucks by 10 right now, and um, I'm going to try not to talk about it. I'm going to try not to cry. Nathan, how are you doing, buddy? Welcome, welcome, welcome back. It's a good thing that we're not actually doing the video version of this podcast because you would be able to see the game and the reflection of my glasses as well as the picture on the wall. I don't want you to to get copyright struck. I, like I, I, I can see it. You may see me look over my left for a little bit just to check the score on my phone. I, I promise I won't do it too, too too often. But Nathan, man, we haven't talked to you in a couple months. How are you doing? You're killing it, man. I listen to your podcast weekly. You're doing fantastic. How are you, buddy? We're 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 grinding over here. We're grinding over here. It's not it's not just draft deeper anymore. It's it's no ceilings that has started since probably I've the last time I've been on this podcast, which is around the draft last year. It's a it's a brand new collective that a lot of us writers and podcasters wanted to come together to start to cover the draft in a way that the draft really isn't covered. Like I can't think of anybody else who is pumping out five to six written pieces a week on top of all of the podcasting that we do as, as a unit. So it's it's been a pretty awesome ride. We've gained a lot of buzz, and because of that, Draft Deeper has only continued to grow as well. But it's not without the support of you fine folks at the overstated who listen to my show every single week who still give me crap in the Facebook group who I can just banter with for hours on end whenever I actually do get to watch NBA hoops, which is not, not as frequently as I would like to during the college season, but it is what it is. But you, you know, I'll be, I'll be watching all the playoff games without a doubt. So I will, I will, man. And yeah, that, that's a good point, man. No ceilings there. You guys are killing it over there. You guys really are. I, I follow you a lot of you guys on Twitter. I try to listen to your stuff as much as I can, and you guys are fantastic. And any any draft expertise, I definitely turn to you, which is kind of why I wanted to have you on. In the midst of all this craziness with the NBA, that we were talking before we came on the air, the NFL is just completely drunk right now. It is my favorite time of the year. I, I usually go to Vegas for the first week in a March Madness. I couldn't go, obviously, last year because of COVID. And this year, just because uh, my, my buddy's having a kid and it just didn't work out. But I went seven years straight, but I will be back next year. Um, I am a, I'm a gambling junkie, so the, the tournament is definitely my favorite time of the year. And I really wanted to have you on. And let, let's just get right into it. What are your, your thoughts about this tournament? It's, all Blue Bloods are basically in the Final Four. It, it's Kansas Villanova. And, of course, it's going to be beaten to death in the media, and we all know it is. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski's last season, and for the first, uh, shockingly, right, for the first time ever, it's Duke, North Carolina. Not only in the tournament, they're in the Final Four. It, it's crazy. What are kind of your takeaways from this entire tournament, Nathan? This tournament's been a wild ride, um, and, and that can be stated very easily by me just telling you that if somebody would have told me when I was able to secure – some seats for the Elite Eight in Philadelphia, if I'd be seeing St. Peter's 
in one of those spots instead of any one of Purdue or Kentucky or even if even if Murray State would have been the Cinderella to kind of go on a little bit of a run. They have a they have an NBA prospect, Tevin Brown, who's really exciting to watch. If any one of those three teams, like sure, but not, not that St. Peter's isn't a great story, not that we shouldn't root for the underdog, because I'm I'm happy for all of those kids. Like this is probably one thing that they'll be able to have and tell stories about in their lives that nobody can ever take away from them. Like the whole story is great. For me attending the game, I did not expect to be going to see North Carolina against St. Peter's. So that that tells you all you need to know right there about how wild this tournament's been. Um, as far as like my bracket is concerned, I mean, my bracket was surprisingly not up in flames after the first weekend, but then we get to the Sweet 16 and all hell breaks loose. Like all four of my seeds are actually like gone, like within a matter of minutes. I had I had a final four of Texas Tech, Purdue, Auburn, and who did, and Arizona with Arizona winning it all. And all four of them were gone. But in its place, we do have, as you mentioned, we have four blue bloods taking over the final four. And it's not just Duke, North Carolina. It's not just the fact that we get CJ Wright and Villanova go at it again. It's not just Bill Self getting back to the final four. It's the fact that that collective, four very historical programs in college basketball get to face off against each other. This is this to me is going to be the best final four that I think we've really had in years. Maybe, maybe the quality of the games doesn't live up to some of the upper echelon games like North Carolina and Villanova from not that long ago from Gonzaga Baylor last year. Maybe it doesn't live up to those games, but the collection, the hype surrounding it, this is the most hype final four that I think I, I can remember since I've really been following college basketball that long. I go back, not, not as far as some people, I go back probably like till 2008, 2009, really following it like in depth. So th- this is, this is the most hype final four I can remember. Yeah, I agree. And it's crazy because listening to Bill Simmons just a little bit, this past month and he was, he was commenting. I know he had Tate Frazier on his podcast and they were talking about, you know, Mike Krzyzewski and how is he the quote unquote last guy, right? The last guy that you're going to be able to put a coach to that program. Who's going to be at that program for X amount of years. And it's funny that in this final four, his last final four, it's a program. It's four programs. I mean, you could even Hubert Davis was a, he was a player for North Carolina. I mean, I, I kind of know those are Roy Williams guys still, but even with Hubert Davis included, it's, three really coaches that you think of the coach before you think of the team, right? You think yep. of Bill Self, Kansas, you think of Jay Wright, GQ, Jay Wright and Villanova. It's, it's cool. Like I, I'm with you. I, I don't know. I remember watching, I was with some buddies of mine. We had a, we had a play date with the kids and we were watching the ACC championship. I'm sorry, not the ACC championship coach K's last game uh, uh, yep. against North Carolina. And you're watching that game and you're seeing North Carolina just shoot the lights out of the ball you get the you get the viral clip from Mike Shashevsky about like he's he's yelling at the student section in classic Coach K. I have to make it about me type type of way. And I remember like leaving that house. I'm like, dude, did did we just did we just is Coach K? Because is this it? Like you know this team just watching that game, right? I mean, like it's not how you want to go into March necessarily. And all of a sudden, here they are in the Final Four. Um, their team is loaded with uh, I would say first round talent for the NBA draft. I'm sure you have some thoughts about that, but I'm with you. It's, I don't know how good the games are going to be, but from just a watching college basketball, watching the tournament, you know, all our lives. And we have Mike Bill Self, Jay Wright, and now Hubert Davis, which, you know, North Carolina. It's cool, man. I think it's really, really cool. Well, 
as far as the Duke run is concerned, I would hope that those guys would have played harder, not only just in the ACC tournament. I know they lost in the championship game, but even coming in the NCAA tournament after Coach K railed them on national television, coming up to the microphone before they even started his little goodbye ceremony for his last game and had to apologize to all the fans of the game for the effort level that the team gave against North Carolina. Like that, that should have absolutely fired up all of them. And there were a few guys who were kind of like laughing about a few comments that were made on the, the camera showed him. I won't mention those guys, but that you did get a look at Paolo Bencaro when, when coach K after coach K said that, and the look on his face was just, it, it, it was, it was that very quiet controlled, but you could tell there was a lot of anger underneath his skin and I think that really has boiled up now, not just in the ACC tournament, but really in the NCAA tournament. As far as him being a, a prospect is concerned, he's kind of been in that top three range all year, right? Has slid on a lot of boards and, and mock drafts now actually number four. Like There were a lot of people putting JD, Jane Ivey ahead of him, who I'm sure we'll get to eventually on this pod. But all of a sudden in the tournament, he has not played any better offensively all year than what he's done in the tournament. and. I would like to think that maybe that was the light bulb that went off of his head, at least from an offensive perspective. Defensively, I still have a ton of questions about him, but I'm really glad to see that he's been able to step up in the tournament and and get back to cementing himself as one of the top two guys in this draft class versus one of the top four guys. And what better stage to only further cement that case than against North Carolina in the Final Four, a team that blew their doors off. Now Duke has a chance to get revenge and then hopefully get to the national championship game. And either one of the opponents they'll face in that game, Kansas Villanova, it's going to be a tough test because they're both defensive, grinded-out teams that play a very physical style of basketball. And Paolo's been a lot better at playing physical in the tournament, but that was one of the things you would notice about him coming out of high school into college was that the 6'10", 250-pound prospect was not getting downhill nearly as often as he should, looking to finish around the basket nearly as often as he should, shied away from a little bit of the physicality of the game when he went up against another high major team. He's kind of put some of those concerns to bed, at least on the offensive end, but he's going to have to revisit all those demons here in the Final Four, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah, and it's not just, too, that Coach K called them out in front of the students. It was all his former players, right? I mean, all his former so players. Many, so yeah. many screenshots of all his former players that were there, from Christian Leitner to J.J. Redick to Jay Williams. Like, all of them in front of everybody, he said that. And it's imagine being a North Carolina fan right now, and you have to be just a little bit nervous, right? Because you've been riding high for the last month going, yeah, they, they have it over Duke, right? And, and, and Coach K, like your last game, we crushed you at Cameron Indoor, like it's done. And now here we are in March, final four, chance to go to the, the national championship game and Duke has to play North Carolina. It's the, the storyline between those two programs. I know Dickie V says it, it's the best rivalry in all of sports. It's I'm so excited for that game. And, and, I, I cannot wait for it. And you mentioned Duke. I wanted to ask you this too, kind of getting away from the teams that are in the final four. Who is, I'm kind of going somewhere with this, but I want to see your thoughts on it. Who is kind of the team that disappointed you during this, during this run that you thought, I know you mentioned Arizona. We didn't really talk about Gonzaga, but who is a team that you were really high on and they just couldn't make that run? So I picked Arizona to win the championship, but I wouldn't say they were the top team that disappointed me the most because at the end of the day, they lost to a Houston team 
that the most important thing, I would say the, the two most important things you can have in March when it comes to winning in college basketball are interior size up front. Houston didn't necessarily have that, but then tremendous guard play and a very balanced perimeter attack. Houston does have that. They have veterans. Even even without Marcus Sasser, they still have a bunch of really awesome guys who can make it happen from the perimeter. So they lost to a team that had that balance in the backcourt as well as one of the better coaches in college basketball and Kelvin Sampson. So I'm not going to hold too much against Arizona, especially when you factor in still relatively young team, like outside of like Christian Coloco, like a lot, a lot of sophomores and even some freshmen um, getting some opportunities. So young team, I was disappointed the most in Auburn. I did not expect Auburn with how dominant they were defensively all year in the SEC to just bow out like they did to Miami because Miami didn't just beat them. Like Miami blew their doors off. And I know that following that same line of thinking, Cameron McGusty and Isaiah Wong have been two of the better scoring guards in the country all year. So is an upset, should an upset be the most surprising thing in the world? By that line of thinking, no. But when you have the front court of Jabari Smith, another likely top three pick, as well as Walker Kessler, who really opened my eyes this year and, in my opinion, deserves to be a first-round pick. When you have that dominant of a front court and you have enough in the backcourt to make it work from a scoring perspective, I just they, they look to me all year like a team that I really thought was going to make a Final Four run and see them bow out as early as they did to a team that, yeah, they kept it close with Kansas in the first half in the Elite Eight, but then they got absolutely slaughtered in the second half. Like, they should not have lost to Miami, and that that's why I would pin them as, as the most disappointing team, in my opinion. It, it's funny, too, because in one of my brackets, I had Auburn winning the winning the entire thing. I mean, I, I filled out a bunch of them. Well, I shouldn't say too many, but I, I was shocked that Auburn got beat like that, especially because – I know Auburn's guards aren't the best in the world, but I mean, Jabari Smith, I mean, dude, his, I'm curious to get your thoughts on him because his stroke just looks good. I, I believe he shot over 40% from three this season. Yep. He's just, he's seems like his game is going to translate. Well, what are your thoughts on Jabari Smith going into the draft? I'd be curious actually on, on a few of your thoughts about him before I, I necessarily take a deep dive on this podcast. Cause you watch so many, so much NBA basketball, you're, you're running an NBA podcast and you've done an incredible job. You and Brett doing so you, you, you see these guys all the time that are expected to be stars or even reach a level of potential superstar in the NBA, right? How many of those guys are not able to, to a certain degree, create their own offense off of more than like one or two dribbles or just standstill shooting. To, to actually be at the level of star, how many guys actually operate like that? You know, it, 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 it's funny you say that because Brett and I always, Brett, my co-host of this podcast, we always, always get into this, I don't want to say argument, but this discussion about how you classify like a superstar or a star, right? Like yep. him and I have gone back and forth and I, I'm curious if – Last year's draft, because I think last year's draft was really good, and I'll, I'll give you the perfect example, right? So, and when you were on this podcast, I think you and I were on the on the on the same side with this. But I am a huge Cade fan. Like I think Cade's game, I thought I thought it in college was going to translate incredibly well because he can create his own shot and he does so much. And everyone, when the season started, they were like, oh. No, even even Brett, you know, oh, Evan Mobley, like it should have been Evan Mobley. And this is not a knock necessarily on Evan Mobley, but, you know, Cade had the bad ankle. And, you know, shockingly, right, 
Nathan, we talked about this too on, on the last podcast you were on. Shockingly, it matters what, what kind of situation you go to. And you look at Detroit and there's not a lot there, right? There, 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 there's really not a lot there. And I'm not going to hold it against Cade because he plays for a a team that's not very good. You know, you know, let's be let's be honest. I think Jabari Smith, I think his game will could translate well as long as he's paired with the right guard. And shockingly, wouldn't it be cool if Jabari Smith gets drafted by the Detroit Pistons? That that's his best fit, in my yeah. opinion. I really believe that's his best fit. Like he he needs somebody who can get him the ball in all of the right spots because I think it's pretty evident now that he's he's not going to do that himself. And there there's multiple aspects to the word creation that I've certainly talked about on the Draft Deeper podcast. It's not necessarily just being able to create your own shot off the bounce with a few combination moves, create separation, and be able to launch a shot. Another part of creation is also just getting yourself in the right spots and being able to get to your spots in order to generate efficient offense. And Jabari Smith can do that, but it's the fact that he lacks that first part to where it, unless you unless you have a legitimate point guard who can get him the ball where he needs it, he's not going to be able to get up 15 to 20 shots per game at nearly an efficient level as he did at times at Auburn. He shot 42% from three this year, which is excellent. He's still right down the 85th percentile as an offensive player, as a freshman in college basketball. That's also excellent. But when we talk about star at the NBA level, really what he is is a six foot ten spot up shooter. And I had Jabari number one at one point on my big board. I have supplanted him on my big board with Chet Holmgren, and I think that's going to stick. And to be honest, I'm really bowling having Paolo right back over top Jabari Smith. Not putting Jabari any lower than number three, but I see the defensive versatility. I love it. He does have some passing instincts there. The shooting obviously is magnificent, but when we talk about who should actually be the number one pick in the draft, I think you need to be able to put the ball in the basket in more ways than Jabari can right now. So that's why I think I would lean Chet, who I think has more offensive upside than some people would care to admit. And then Paolo, we're seeing everything during the tournament run with Paolo being able to do almost anything he wants to off the dribble and a six foot 10, 250 pound shot creator who can also get others involved passing the basketball. That's becoming too much to pass up despite some of the defensive concerns. So I think where Jabari ultimately falls in the draft is now going to be incredibly interesting. Cause I don't think he's this slam dunk number one pick that he was in December. Does he still have upside to be that guy? in his NBA career. Yeah. If he further develops his handle and he gets more comfortable doing some of those things off the bounce, I'm not going to rule it out. But I mean, you, you watch him handle the ball in transition. He's kind of like hunched over like halfway, like dribbling it to kind of keep it under control. Like he, he doesn't, he, he can dribble, but he can't handle. And there is a big difference between the two. Paolo can legitimately handle check can also do some more things than Jabari can do off the bounce. That's why this in an offensive driven league, I'm going to probably lean towards those guys even more than Jabari. And that's crazy to say because he is such a ridiculous shooter, but it's the limitations behind his game that are giving me cause to pause. And you saw that in the Miami game. You did. Man, I really hope he goes to Detroit now. 
I, I really, really do. I don't want him to go to Orlando. I don't want him to go to Houston. Please, 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 basketball gods, let him go to Detroit. Mo- Molly, Molly would love him because you can only imagine the look on her face when Cade gets an incredible pass out to somebody on the perimeter, and there's no faith that that guy that he gets the ball to is going to knock down that shot. If Jabari's open, he's probably going to knock it down. So that, that's, that's, what, that's what they need. I, I love it. I, I hope it happens because, like I said, you, you see his defensive ability, the way he can shoot the three. You, his game, like you said, if he is paired with the right guard, will translate well. If he's not paired with the right guard, it's going to be it, it it's going to be a struggle. I, I really don't want him to go to Orlando. You mentioned Chet, Nathan, and I, I, he's pretty controversial, right? I, I think if there was a guy in the draft that had the highest ceiling and – I don't want to use the word bust, but kind of like uh, whatever word is kind of like bust there, I guess, like man. You, 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 can, you can use it. It's fine. You can it, use the I, word I bust. Think, I think it would be him. Is, is, that, is that correct? I mean, you can see his skill. You could see he's incredibly smart. Obviously, his limitations, it's his body. I mean, if we're, if we're just being frank with it, I mean, his, his body type is, is – it doesn't look all that great. But, I mean, you have him number one. Tell, tell us why he's number one. Tell us why his game should translate very well into the NBA. You got to look past the body. And I know that's I know that's very hard to do, but it would be one thing if he was somebody who got injured right during his career and he already had some injury trouble. He, he hasn't been injury prone all the way up till now. So I think as long as an NBA team approaches getting him in the weight room and training him to get stronger, not necessarily put on a bunch of bulk, then I think he's going to be in a good spot in in the NBA. That's going to be key. Some of these guys, when you put too much bulk on their bodies, they just don't carry it well. It affects their movement, and that's when they get hurt, especially these seven-foot, seven-foot-one guys. You mean Anthony Davis. Okay, continue. Go ahead. Or or, or Ben Simmons in his rookie year, too, for as much as nobody wants to talk about that either. I still think that led to some of his foot problems, but – that's 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 in your hero there. there. Um, <laughs> with Chet, he is so smart, man. He is so intelligent on the basketball court on both ends of the floor. And honestly, a lot of people are going to come back to his strengths being on the defensive end, which that's true. He is, as some people have dubbed him, a Venus flytrap. He can literally swat the ball from anywhere. Even when he's back down in the post, he still finds ways to get his hands on the ball. Because he knows how to position himself, he knows how to take that contact, and he know he has the the timing, the anticipation to be able to actually go up and block that shot, not fall for the pump fake, not fall for the guy putting his shoulder into his body and backing him off. He he knows what's coming and he knows how to play these guys who are bigger than him. And he's done it for so many years at this point. Like he's been the tallest guy and the longest guy on the court for pretty much his entire career. Has he ever been the biggest guy? No. This is, this is something that he's had to deal with all the way up until now and even during this year. And he's still averaging the amount of blocks per game that he is. He's still one of the better interior defenders in the country. He's still a guy who can switch out on the perimeter, help contain guys. I, I'm, so, I'm so incredibly amazed with everything he can do on the court on the defensive end. But then you factor in what he can do offensively. He is an excellent transition finisher. He's a cutter to the basket. He can act out of the roll man. He can play off the short roll. He can pass the ball. I think he's a very underrated passer. 
And then the shooting. I think he is going to get to like 39, 40% from three-point range. But some people would argue he kind of has to be that good of a shooter to justify having him on the court because he's not going to back anybody down in the post or necessarily finish over or through guys on the interior on a consistent basis one-on-one. But I think the shooting is going to be there for him. And I'll ask you this question, Steve. If, if Chet were to get the ball in some of the areas that Paolo and Jabari has been operating with over the course of this year, if he actually had the chance to take more of those, those mid-range face-up type of jumpers, don't you think his scoring average would be even a little bit higher than, than what it was this year? Like, I thought he was underutilized in the half court this year at Gonzaga. I, I do, and I actually think that his offensive game is going to translate pretty well into the NBA. What, what I kind of pushed back on a little bit, and again, I didn't watch Chet as much. I mean, you're the expert here, so I, I'm, I, I'm listening to you. And what everyone kept telling me, though, was his defense, his defense, his defense. And yeah, like you said, he, he's going to be able to squat, swat a lot of balls, and he's, he's very, very tall, and he's incredibly smart. I think, I think that's the most underrated thing about him, to be honest, that where when people look, like you said, you have to look past his body type. I, I think his, his, his smarts is going to get him where he needs to go in the NBA if, if if he gets drafted by the right team, which I want to talk to you about in a minute. I, I do. I, I worry about his defense, though, more more so than his offense. I think his offense will be fine. I think he's someone, and you. I'm curious to get your thoughts. You can correct me if I'm wrong. He needs to be paired with another big on the floor. Yes. I, I, yes. He, needs, he needs somebody that is going to take that pounding because it, it, I, I thought you said it perfectly, and I've talked to some of my friends about this. It's not the fact that he needs to bulk up. It's that he needs to get stronger. And it's not yeah. just because, you know, he's 195 pounds. It's it's because you're playing an 82-game season. In the NBA, you're traveling. You're playing back-to-back. You're playing three games in, in six nights. You know, it, it it's the NBA is, you know, the ultimate grind. You know, and I say that with respect to baseball. But, I mean, they'll, they'll, you're, it's the ultimate grind playing that many games, that many nights, all these back-to-backs. You know, it, He's going to be sore, and he needs someone to take that off him. Like I look at look at Milwaukee, all right. Like I know, I know Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. But you know, you have arguably the best player in the NBA or top two, top three, however you want to do it, who is just a physical phenom, right? And you know what Milwaukee does? They have Brook Lopez out there with him, so Brook yep. Lopez can take that pounding. You know, I remember Brook Lopez just came back within the last couple of weeks, and Giannis, who Giannis is all world athlete literally said a month into the season, he can't wait for Brook to come back because it is ridiculous the pounding that his body is taking. That is Giannis saying that it's not just a, a run-of-the-mill type player. So if, if he – whatever team drafts him is going to have to be very, very smart about it. You know, like you look at – I don't – I hate making comparisons like this, but you look at when Kevin Garnett came out, right? It's very, very skinny. And yep. he, he, he was skinny roughly his – whole career but he was strong like that's what Chet needs to do and I just hope wherever he goes they they put him on the the right program and they get him a five that he can play with that's a big reason why I loved where Mobley went last year 100 100 Nathan not that Mobley wouldn't have succeeded in Detroit or Houston that's that's not what I'm saying but his best overall fit was with the Cleveland Cavaliers because they had the size to be able to support the position that I think he's better at playing. I think Mobley, 
a lot of people would love to say even now that he's a long-term five in the NBA because of where the NBA has gone, spreading the floor, five out, being able to handle the ball, play point setter, and, and kind of spread the ball out for all the other shooters on the court. That's great. But that doesn't play into who Evan Mobley is as a basketball player on the defensive end. He's much better as a help defender, as a rover, as somebody who can play off of somebody who is much more physical in the interior to take the beating from a more traditional five-man that's exactly what Chet Holmgren needs in, in the NBA. And I don't quite know what that team is near the top. I, I think Houston would not be a bad destination because they're going to have Shen Goon there long-term. And if there's one thing that Shen Goon loves doing, it's it's battling down low. He may foul out every game, but he, he likes battling with his man down low. So I, I think that would probably be in terms of fits, the best fit in my opinion. Um, but really... In, in theory, he can kind of fit everywhere, right? Like if he needs to play the five, it's not going to look pretty in some matchups, but he's going to be able to play the five because of his instincts, because of how he plays angles and how he approaches matchups. He's going to be able to do it. If he needs to play as a four-man next to a more traditional big, kind of like you and I are, are agreeing on, that's obviously there for him because he is mobile, because he can cover a lot of ground, because he's long. So I think no matter where he goes, I think he's going to be a good to very good to potentially awesome NBA player, I, I I don't think, in my opinion, that's really up for debate. Um, but there are certain fits that could be better for him to maximize what he is right now in the short term so that you can develop him for what he needs to be in the long term. I agree. And even in the long term, looking at a long – well, looking at the long-term view of this, he's going to be probably right – he's going to be the one that's going to be closing games and it's not going to be with a traditional center, right? He's going to be playing the five in almost like a a – I'm not comparing them to Golden State, don't get me wrong, but like a death lineup type of situation, right? Like how you have Giannis play, like playing the five, how KG played the five when he was with Boston. Like that's going to be his role to close games. I just think that – and I think Houston is a great fit too. I, I think that – I think Christian Wood is probably on his way out. I think they have to – you know, Eric Gordon, they're, 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 they're going to do some things there. But I, I think Sangoon is going to be perfect there. I think that's the perfect fit for him. And I, I honestly – I don't want to see him go anywhere else. Like, I really don't. I don't want to sound like I'm ripping Orlando, but I just don't want him to go to Orlando. I, I, I don't I don't want it. I mean, when he's closing games, if his if he does get stronger, but his body type kind of just stays the same, right? Like, he's still this long, lanky dude. It's going to look like how Brooklyn closes games with Kevin Durant at the five. It, it's yep. going to look a lot like that. And if if you're comfortable trotting out a lineup with that kind of as your, your back line of defense – and you're going to go for the offensive versatility that Chet provides to kind of round everything out for everybody else on the team, then, you know, sign yourself up for it. That That's what you're going to be signing up for if you don't play him next to a more traditional five. That's what it's going to look like. And there's some times where Kevin Durant, I mean, I've, I've heard multiple people say it on podcasts. I just listened to Zach Lowe talking today on his podcast. Like Kevin Durant has become an incredibly underrated defender at this point in his career. He's phenomenal. Oh. He's a phenomenal defender. He's, he's phenomenal. So I, I don't think that having him as your back line of defense is the worst possible thing that you can do. But it looks a little weird because of how Kevin Durant's body is made up. And with Chet as that back line guy in closing lineups, it's going to look just as weird. But Kevin Durant is so smart. And when he does need to turn it on in those closing lineups and be a bully, he is that bully. And Chet 
that's the other thing too, that more people need to start realizing that just because Chet isn't as physical as some of these other guys in terms of his body composition, that dude plays hard. You knock him down, he gets right back up just as quickly. So I, I think there's a lot of similarities there in terms of how he'll look in certain lineups. Um, but, but we're, we're talking about a unicorn type of player, like, like a, a more legitimate unicorn than what we would call Chris Porzingis. Cause Chris Porzingis can't handle the ball like Chet Holmgren can. He can't pass the ball like Chet Holmgren can. So he is the most unique player that I've ever evaluated. I've heard multiple people say that now that will be topped a, a, a year from now with Victor Wembanyama, who's, who's playing over in France. He, he will then be the most unique player I've ever evaluated, but right now Chet is, and I would much rather bank on that player with that high of an upside when we're talking about star hunting at the top of the draft. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I don't view any of these guys as tier one prospects like I would have viewed Cade and Jalen Green last year. And I guess Evan Mobley should technically be in that tier now that we've well, seen enough of him in his rookie year. We'll, we'll see. He's, he's got a ways to go. I, 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 I'm, I'm he's, he, he's he's a bona fide all star max contract player. That's how I yes. would classify tier two, right? Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if Evan Mobley's MVP caliber. Like I would still give that edge to the two guys who are going to have their ball in the hands for the majority of the game in Cade and Jalen Green, who now later in this year you're really seeing how when they have the ball in their hands and they have the confidence behind them, they're able to do some special special things on the basketball court. And usually it's those guys who can put up enough points as well as balance all the all their other parts of the game and manage everything else for the team. Those are the guys that are winning MVP awards, not necessarily the player like Mobley, who could turn out to be like another version of Anthony Davis, and he could be spectacular, all star, perennial all star player, and like could he approach the MVP conversation like one year, maybe. But he's going to be a perennial all-star. He's going to make a difference. He's going to be on all defense teams. He probably will win a championship at some point. He's going to be great. I just don't know if that puts him in the same tier as some of those other guys. But even if you want to talk about those three guys, throw Scotty Barnes into like a tier two. I don't think that any of these guys in this draft class are going to be as good as those guys. So and you, you want to roll the dice and take the best one out of what we have available. And to me, that's Chad. Talk to me about uh, Jaden Ivey. Um, as a, as a, yeah, you're kind of a fellow Big Ten guy. I'll, I'll, I'll include you in there. You're, you're an honorary member. Talk to me about Jaden Ivey. Uh, where do you think he's going to go? How, where do you project him to be in the NBA? Give me, give me your thoughts on him. So we were actually having a very interesting conversation today in our No Ceilings group chat, and we were talking about what the Oklahoma City could do at the fourth pick, which is where they're currently mocked right now. They're likely to have two lottery picks and they'll have a third pick somewhere in the first round. Um, what would the Thunder do with the fourth pick? Like, would it definitely be Jay and Ivy or would it be somebody else? And my thought is that if you're the Thunder, you take the best player available, right? So in my opinion, I think Jay and Ivy is that guy. He's number four after the big three of the tall guys, right? But there are some questions about his game. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Like my biggest holdup with Jay Nivey is he doesn't have a legitimate pull-up jump shot. And guards in the NBA nowadays, you need it. You, you, you absolutely you, you can't you can't get by without it. Like NBA teams know how to crowd the paint, play defense, and wall you off from getting where you need to go if that threat of a pull-up shot isn't there. They'll they'll play drop coverage on you to death. 
in, in pick and roll game. And if you can't burn them for playing that drop coverage and take advantage of the space they're giving to you, how dynamic of a player are you? And I, he's, he's not the same. He he's, he's slippery, but he's not in the same way as like a John Morant, like Morant's his most popular comparison, mainstream media. Ja is so gifted with his handle. He is much better at the start-stop game. He has much better vision from a decision-making perspective than Jay Nivey, though I don't think Jay Nivey's bad in that area. He's just not nearly as good as somebody like Ja. Like, those are the things that separate Ja Morant, even though Ja technically doesn't have the smoothest pull-up game either. He also has a floater that he can go to, though, which is much better than what Ivy's floater looks like right now. So Ivy's improved as a spot-up three-point shooter. We know if he gets going to his right, gets downhill. We know what he can do around the basket. He's had some spectacular finishes at the basket this year. Some really coordinated, like he will all of a sudden just float in midair and he will figure out a a way to get that ball home. But that third level, that mid-range level that I just don't feel like he has from both a passing perspective and a scoring perspective, how much is that going to hurt him in the NBA? And can he actually get to the point where, he develops more of that game. I think you can get better at developing a pull-up shot in time. I don't know how much better he's going to get in terms of his handle. Like I, I, I'm starting to come around to the point where you you either have your handle as a guard by the time you get to college or you don't. How many players honestly improve their handle to the point where like they're all of a sudden whipping out some of these moves like your most gifted ball handles, like a jaw or a tray or somebody like that? Like that really doesn't happen. So I don't foresee him making that big of a leap. So I, I, I would still peg him as number four in this class right now, but I, I, I just have so many concerns in that regard. I do too. And the game that I'm going to bring up is Wisconsin versus Purdue. It was at Madison in the Kohl Center. Wisconsin ends up winning that game. Jaden, he, he just looked very hesitant. He wasn't really sure what to do with the ball. I know he got hot kind of late a little bit, but I, his decision-making was was so-so to me. Just watching that game, and I actually had Purdue going very, very far in the, in the, in, in the tournament. Obviously, that blew up in my face. But I'm, I'm with you. So did I. I. I had Purdue in the Final Four, man. Yeah. It blew up for like, me, too. So did I. What, whatever. Whatever. Neither, neither, neither here nor there. I, I just – his decision making worries me a little. I shouldn't say worries me. It, it's a concern for me. Obviously, that can that can get fixed when you depending what team you go to. I thought the Ja comparisons were a little like eh, like like Ja Morant is really freaking good, and you could you could see Ja Morant having. I don't know about being. You know, he might be first team All NBA this year, if if not at the very worst, second team All NBA. I don't know necessarily if we saw that coming, but you you could see it with Ja. He's just his athleticism is just ridiculous, and and I, Ivy has speed that you can't teach too. Like Ivy's speed is ridiculous. Top end speed can get to basically wherever he wants to in transition. He will get to the basket, no questions asked. But how much of that top end speed? Like, am I overthinking it? Are we overthinking it that that speed is just going to be so great? It's going to continue to be an equalizer at the NBA level, and he's still going to be able to get downhill and get to the rim whenever he wants. Are we overthinking it or are we correct in saying that you need more of that, that mid range game to really thrive as that next level of guard in the NBA? I think you're going to need that mid range game. I, I, I really do. And it's so deadly. And you look at all of the top point guards in the NBA, they, they all have some variation of that, right? Like it'll be interesting. I'm not, 
I don't know how good he's going to be, Nathan. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I, 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 I really don't. I think his potential is very high. He can he be can he be the starting point guard on a playoff team? But Let, let's just go there. Do you do you think he can? It's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. It really is going to take a lot of work. And and this is coming from somebody who, again, who who has argued in favor of Ivy as a pick-and-roll ball handler, as a pick-and-roll distributor, and as a scorer in that play type, the main play type, the bread and butter of the NBA. I've advocated for him in that regard. But the NBA is a different beast. And when teams figure out how to play him in that pick-and-roll to take advantage of his weakness in the mid-range, it's going to make life really really difficult for him. And the, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing he better have. When teams go under the screen, he better be able to knock down that three-point shot, that open three-point shot. If he doesn't have that and this spot-up shooting improvement that he's had this year is a little bit of a mirage when he gets to the next level when that three-point line is out even further, if he doesn't have that, then his life is really going to be miserable playing the point guard and, and, and factoring in more lead ball handling duties. I agree. All right, before we get to Philly, because we got to talk about that, uh, who's number five on your board? <sighs> Depends on the day, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you I, got I time, think, you, the draft is in June. You got plenty of time. Plenty of time. I, I think right now it's AJ Griffin. Um, I love him, I, dude. I love. I I was. I love watching him play. It 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 was it was your boy Johnny Davis. Oh, not, not we're that gonna talk long about ago. him in a minute. You, you hang out. We're gonna talk about him in a minute. The the thing that separates AJ Griffin for me is I think he's gonna be fine defensively. I think a lot of the mistakes that you see on the court are completely coachable. And obviously, from a physical perspective, he's 6'6", 225 pounds. He has the size and the strength to match up with anybody you want him to one through three in in the NBA. I believe that wholeheartedly. But what separates him for me on the offensive end is that that pull-up game that he can go to in the mid-range. We come back to how important mid-range scoring is, especially not just for point guards, but also for the best of the best wing players in the NBA. He's so good of a spot-up three-point shooter that he makes defenders come all the way out to him, and he can get a step on those guys. And once you let him get two feet in the paint, he can rise up over anybody and drill that mid-range jump shot. Best hang time of any player in this draft class. Obviously, he can finish at the basket. That's the type of three-level scoring wing who can work so well off of handoffs. You can have him off screens. He's a spot-up three-point shooter. Put him in the corners. You can put him wherever you need him to offensively on the court. And as long as you're not asking him to be a multi-decision player in terms of making multiple progressions, multiple reads, having too much of those responsibilities, as long as you're viewing him as a shooter, a scorer, and a play finisher, I, I haven't seen a, a prospect in, in quite a long time who can do all of those things at such a ridiculously efficient level as A.J. Griffin has. And he's going to be one of the youngest players in this draft class. He's going to be 18 on draft night. That that to me still looks like too much of an enticing package to to pass up. I'm with you. I love him. I love him. All right, I gotta ask you, man. So I'm a diehard Wisconsin sports fan. It doesn't matter. Like I know, I know, I know, I know Wisconsin style of play. I know it's Dick Bennett, Bo Ryan, Greg Gard. I root for Marquette just because they play in Milwaukee. I I, I love Wisconsin. It's just, it's, I was born here. I have to like them. I understand this. Like you, I want everyone to understand 
how excited, how heartbroken I was when Wisconsin lost the national championship to Duke because I didn't think we were ever going to get back. It was our one moment. Frank, that team was so fun. Nigel, Sam Decker, and because of a guy now who's on my favorite NBA team that I have to root for, Grayson Allen, <laughs> just came in and broke my heart, ripped it out of me. I, I, I it's it's heartbreaking. So I talk myself into the Badgers basketball and football every single year. And early on in the season, you and I were messaging each other. And I was like, hey, Johnny Davis looks good. And you were like, man, he's balling. Like, he he was playing good. And I just want to let you know, Nathan, now I didn't pick them in my bracket, which may be shame on me. But in my brain, I said, you know what, man? Johnny Davis can lead us on like a Dwayne Wade Marquette type of Final Four run here. He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be great. Nathan, I talked myself into it. I was like, he – he is going to propel himself into a top five pick because Wisconsin is going to go on this run. Everyone's going to see it. They, they're going to see that Wisconsin as a team is not very good. Johnny Davis is just lifting everybody up. And then Iowa State happened and my heart got broken last week Sunday. I haven't been able to recover since. Give me your thoughts on Johnny Davis. How, how is his game going to translate? How disappointed were you? I was heartbroken. Give me your thoughts, Nathan. Uplift me, Nathan. Uplift me. I, I wasn't disappointed in him. And you know why I wasn't disappointed in him? You you would know this better than I would because you watched all these Wisconsin games all year. You definitely watched more Wisconsin games than I did. Um, I have I have never evaluated a player who's likely to go in the top 10 who had to do more for his team this year than Johnny Davis yes, had to do. The team was horrible team. around him. It was hor- I tell, horrible around him. Like – your second best player on the team, other than when Chucky Hepburn decided to just get hot miraculously, like towards the end of the year, and he he's going to be a really good college guard in his regard, probably has a chance to to, to be a pro player. But until he got like really hot from three point range later in the year, your second best player was Brad Davison. And I know, yeah, Wisconsin fans love Brad Davison, but like, oh, don't even get me that, started on him. That that's that was that he was your second best player, a guy who's I feel like he's been in his. He's been in college as long as I've been out of college. Yes. And I'm 28 yes. years old. That's what it feels like. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's what we're talking about here. Um, so, Johnny had to do everything for that team on the offensive end. And then he's also taking the other team's best perimeter player on the defensive end every single night. And I know he wanted to take those assignments, but when you're doing that much on the court, he's he wasn't a freshman. He was a sophomore this year. But – Last year, he really didn't get much run for Wisconsin, so really it was going to be about how could he emerge this year. So essentially taking last year as sort of like a quote-unquote wash from a load perspective, he has not had to do anything remotely like this um, in his career ever. He's essentially coming out of high school to do everything that he did for your Wisconsin team, and when you embrace that type of a load, it's going to wear you down. And that's why, like, especially when he got hurt, like, it was just kind of it for him. And I'm like, I, I feel bad for him and he's going to, he's going to drop down draft boards a little bit because of it. But at the same time, like, even though I might not have him ranked at the end of the year, as high as I once did at number five, that doesn't believe, that doesn't mean that I don't have him as one of quote unquote, my guys in this draft class. I know your face lit up when you heard that on a previous podcast that I declared him as one of my guys. And you damn Tyler right Metcalf, it did, Nathan. You damn Tyler, right it did. Tyler Metcalf at No Ceilings is an even bigger Johnny Davis fan than I am. Um, but, again, we may not have a top, top-tier star 
in this draft class. But in terms of guys who have star potential, he's kind of like one of those last guys at the end who I would say still has star potential. Because when he's at his best and he's making all the shots that he can on the offensive end, playing terrific defense both on and off the ball on the defensive end, he has great positional size in the backcourt. Very, very underrated passer. That was one of the things. I, I love seeing him do some of those whip passes that he did against Rutgers when I saw him in person. Such an underrated passer. You start to put together the offensive and the defensive profile Two-way guys like him don't always come around either. And I understand some of the separation concerns that people have about his game. I think that's a little bit overblown. Like one of the reasons why I wanted to go see him in person was how easily does he actually create those shots? Is it really that hard for him as it looks on film at times? Or is it something that can be alleviated when you actually see him in person? It was definitely the latter. The, 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 the types of shots he was able to create against that really, really tough Rutgers defense in that trapezoid of terror as they call it over in, in my neck of Big Ten country, um, it, it, it opened my eyes and it showed me that Johnny Davis is going to be one of these guys when he gets to the NBA, all the spacing he's going to have, he's going to thrive. He's not going to be in these crowded environments and half-court situations where defenses can just load up on him because he's the only guy on offense that can consistently do something off the bounce and create something for him or for anyone else apart from Brad Davison. Um, so that's my two cents about Johnny. I think he's going to be a definitely a good NBA player has a chance to be a great NBA player. I would not rule out maybe not like perennial all-star, but in terms of guys who we were thinking of as like stars or like fringe stars, I absolutely think that that's in a realm that he can reach. I agree, man. I agree. I think he's going to be very, very, I think he's going to have a good NBA career. I, I hope, I just, I hope he goes to a spot where there's going to be help around him. I, I, I that That's my one concern because I, I want him to feel, again, this is straight homer talk, Nathan. I want him to feel what it's like to play with a competent NBA guard that can take pressure off of him. Like I, that, that was my biggest frustration watching this Wisconsin team. But, you know, we'll see. One of my happens. favorite fits for him that we mocked, I would love for him to go to Portland. I oh, we were Portland just talking side. about, yes, yes. Yes. Because regardless of what Portland does, whether they blow it up with Dame and it's Anthony Simons' team or they keep Dame, you just said it. That's the type of guard that Johnny Davis should be next to. That much attention in the backcourt taken away from him, that's going to give him so much space and so much opportunity to do what he can do best. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's end it with this, man. Let's come to my neck of the woods here. The NBA, I'm, I'm just I'm just letting you know. I don't know if you've been watching. I know it's a one it's, point. It's, it's a one-point game. I know, and you've been you you've sons done, of you've guns. Been, you've done a great job of not averting your eyes. Uh, I know Milwaukee's up by one. Embiid hit a three, and then we had a turnover. And Embiid's making me nauseous right now, trying to trying to handle the basketball. Oh my goodness! Oh, and it's short, and it's short. We got foul. the rebound, Milwaukee. Foul. We got yeah. You got a foul. Okay, so they fouled Giannis. All, All right, right. thirteen point two. You make these free throws. All right, so. Let, 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 let's talk about this, and I know this is going to be tough because the game's going on, but you've, you've done an ex, excellent job. So you and I had a conversation privately, of course, and, and my, my thoughts about this have been pretty clear in the overstated NBA group. I, I thought that Ben Simmons was really good for Philly. I, I know, I know, I know they couldn't get, get past the second round, but for everything that he did for that team defensively, for what he did for them, in the regular season, I, I, I know the playoffs was bad, but I thought he was their their best shot at winning a title. 
And I was steadfast throughout the year. You cannot just trade him for anybody. This is this is Daryl's one shot to build around Joel Embiid, even when everybody was saying, did he make both free throws? He's made one of two. He made one but missed a second? He's still got the second one to go. Okay. So I, I know that you don't want to waste Joel Embiid's prime, especially with his – really injury history and, and, and big guys and, and back issues and feet issues, but he's really, really good. And I get that. And I push back the entire time. Do not trade him for CJ McCollum. I, I love CJ. Everybody took that as I don't like CJ. I just, I didn't think defensively in the East CJ was going to be able to match up. So then all of a sudden Harden becomes available and they get James Harden. I want to know what your thoughts are first, because you, you, everyone has heard me on a podcast talk about this. What are your thoughts about James Harden with Philly it's a lot of money, Nathan, that he's going to sign next year with that extension. What, what are your thoughts on it? It looked great at first, and then it hasn't looked good. Now you see they're, they're playing tough with Milwaukee right now. What, give me your thoughts. What are you feeling as a diehard Philly fan right now? Give me your thoughts. So anybody who listened to the Draft Deeper podcast when I actually had did two different episodes talking about this with – two different guys who I respect their NBA opinions on. My whole thing was I hated that we gave up Seth Curry and Andre Drummond in the deal. And I understand if you're getting hard in, you're probably going to have to give up something as well. I mean, Ben Simmons, like who even knows if he's going to play this year? Like I, I, I legitimately have no idea yeah. at this point. I, I don't know what's going to happen with him, but in terms of giving something up, Everyone's like, I'm so glad that that they didn't give up Tyrese Maxey, and, and and so am I. Like that that would be stupid if they 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 gave up Tyrese Maxey until the way that he's playing, he is a legitimate third banana. I love everything that Maxey's been for this team, but they also say I'm so glad we didn't give up Matisse Thybulle. And you know what? I would rather have Seth Curry than Ooh, Matisse Thybulle. I like it. I'm I sorry. like it. I agree. I agree. Because. As valuable as Thibel can be forcing turnovers on the defensive end and playing this funnel style of defense to where he plays the right angle, gets somebody to come into the vacuum that is Joel Embiid down low, That that's fine. But in a playoff setting where it's going to be much more about one-on-one defense because of the types of shots that are being taken than playing this team-orchestrated defense around Joel Embiid all the time, Matisse Thibel is not the best one-on-one defender. I'm sorry, he's he's just not. I've watched him too many times get bodied up on that end in one-on-one situations, and he 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 can he can make plays on a recovery, still swat the ball away or do whatever. But that we're, we're not we're, when we're talking about the playoffs being a game that's so much around isolation, jump shots, late in shot clocks, and I don't think that Thibel has the juice in him to either properly contest that shot and make guys miss. Or if he does get caught on a pump fake and he has to recover and then he has to get back, he's not the physical guy either to be able to properly body somebody else up on the drive. And even even in help situations, if he's not getting a hand on the ball and it's more about how he's playing somebody with his body, he, he's not causing anybody to go off balance. If anything, he's giving up the continuation and wants somebody. He's, he's not as effective of a one-on-one defensive player that I would like him to be for what we gave up with Seth Curry, who fits so well with everybody else around him, who gave the Philadelphia 76ers something that they will not be able to replicate this year. 
um, and any of, any of their other shot makers that they have. They just don't have a guy who is as trustworthy as Seth Curry, especially when you get into some of these bench lineups. They are missing that shooting badly. And I know people are going to laugh about Andre Drummond. I would so much rather have Andre Drummond backing up uh, oh, DeAndre Jordan, Jordan right now Shocker. Than, Shocker. Than, than DeAndre Jordan or what it's really come down to is Paul Millsap. Because, like, I hadn't seen Paul Millsap, I feel like, play meaningful basketball in, like, two-plus years. Yeah. And this is what we're going to have backing up injury-prone Joel Embiid towards the end of the year and, and in a playoff stretch. And Joel's been the healthiest that he's ever been over the last two years. Are we really, really, really going to keep making that bet? And you might look at me and say, well, Drummond's not exactly a star center anymore either. But it's the combination of what those two guys added to the depth. And we're seeing what happens when those guys are removed and they don't have the same depth to be able to rely upon, especially when Harden's putting up stinkers like 3 of 17 from the floor and he's not able to get to the line nearly as many times as he once could. Like, so much is falling more on Tyrese Maxey's shoulders offensively than I think people initially it's, it's anticipated. His year too, Nathan. It's his only his second year. And you're putting everything defensively on Joel Embiid. You're putting everything on him on the defensive end on top of what he already has to do to carry this team on the offensive end. So I, I won't rule out the fact that Philly could win a championship with James Harden and Joel Embiid as the top two players. They're going to have to reconfigure this roster around those two to add more of those death pieces back next year and probably make a better run at it next year. I, I, I want to be optimistic, Steve. I, I don't see them winning a title this year. I don't see it. I think it's, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think it's this year or next year. I, I think, I think this is the window with James. And, and if they, even if they don't win it this year, but they would find a way to be able to put the right pieces around them, do it next year. Then I wouldn't care about what they got to pay James Harden. I, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. Because if you got the championship, championships cost something. They cost something. Usually it costs them something very significant. See, the Los Angeles Lakers who won the bubble championship, and now, you know, all of that's coming back to, to now potentially bite them in the ass. They got that one championship, and it's all kind of falling apart around them. But they got that one ring. It was all worth it. It's always worth it for a championship. You probably feel the same way, Steve. It was all worth it for the championship last year for the Bucks. everything that you guys have done. And I would feel the same way. I would be able to say that comfortably. If Philly had to pay James Harden because he got them that one championship, you do it, Nathan. You, you, you do it. You, 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 do, you it. do it. it, it it's a hundred percent. And and I think the Lakers. I think you do that. Um, I know Milwaukee won, by the way. I I I, I, <laughs> I, I with with the Lakers. I think that you know they benefited from the bubble. I'm not sure if they win it without the bubble. But you know what? Every single team was in the bubble. Um, my team flaked out, your team flaked out. The Lakers won it. It is what it is. Um, you look at my team, I can tell you that I did not like signing Chris Middleton to that big of a contract. I really, I really didn't. I was so happy for Chris because I love him as a player. But as a Bucks fan, it, he, he gets hot and cold. But you know what? They won a title. It's all worth it now. And the reason that I think Philly's window is this year or next year with Harden Man, I, I hate to make the comparison to Allen Iverson. I really do. James Harden is so gifted as an offensive player. And I think sometimes that is to his um, detriment a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, he clearly doesn't take care of his body. And, you know, he's not in the gym. He's not working out like how some of these other players are. He's um, 
let's just say he's loving the adult entertainment uh, uh, nightclubs very late at night, probably not eating well. I mean, basically he's the anti-LeBron, right? And I mean that from like LeBron is spending a million, $2 million on his body every single year. He's up early. James Harden doesn't do that. And I'm worried that he is going to break down. To your point about Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has had to do everything this year. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried – is he going to wear down in the playoffs because he's had to shoulder so much of this load? He's been so healthy this year. And, dude, I don't care what anybody says. I He's probably going to win MVP. It's deservedly so. If it's Jokic, it's deservedly so. Whatever. But Joel Embiid is a joy to watch play basketball. And yeah. I'm not just telling you this because you're on my podcast. If if Milwaukee doesn't win it and Philly wins it, dude, I'll be I'll be nothing but happy for you guys. I, 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 Wait, I, why, why are you guys in so much better of a position, in my opinion, to still win it this year than the Philadelphia 76ers? Because you guys have depth. You guys have one to two guys who can come off the bench on any given night in the playoffs and give you 20-plus points. Who is that guy on Philadelphia? They don't have one. It's all on the starters, and it's all particularly on the shoulders of really three players because who the hell knows what Tobias is going to give you on any given <laughs> night. So – it's it, that I'm sorry that like though championship teams have at least one to two guys within the seven or eight man rotation to one or two other guys who can give you those 20 plus points when somebody else is struggling. To start yeah, you, look, you, look at Mo- you look at Milwaukee, you got Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, George Hill's corpse, who his plus minus has been ridiculously good this year if he's healthy. And oh, by the way, if we have to, I mean, and Brooke Lopez is back. Oh, we can throw in a guy named Serge Ibaka for 10 to 15 minutes a game just to annoy the piss out of whoever the opponent is. But I, I like Philly, man. Like, I, I just think that it's – we haven't touched on it. I got to bring it up before we leave here. It's very interesting that I almost feel bad for Joel Embiid that you have James Harden and Doc Rivers, two of the guys that have, like, the worst playoff collapses you could think of are now on the same team. Like, that. that's scary. And you know what? Everybody here in Wisconsin, I can tell you, is – Worried about Philly, worried about Boston. It's it's Brooklyn, right? Just because just how good of Kevin Durant is. And you know what everyone in Milwaukee here is saying? You fuckers at Philly. You had to give him Seth Curry. You had to give Brooklyn Seth Curry. Because Seth Curry has fit in with Brooklyn really yep. well. And yep. I will say this too, the day that I die, people make too big of a deal about the Kevin Durant toe thing. Yes, I get it. People forget that Milwaukee was blowing Brooklyn out in game five or game game five or game six. And Jeff Green decided to go eight for nine from three and have the game of his life. But Brooklyn lost that series because Joe Harris could not hit the broad side of a barn. He was terrible. So now this year, he's probably going to be out for the year. Oh, Brooklyn just decides to bring in Seth Curry. Great. Awesome. Does it it shock you that on Zach's latest pod today that both Tim Bontemps and Bobby Marks both said that they think Brooklyn's very likely to lose in the first round? Does that shock you at all? It that shocks me. It, I don't think that I don't think they're going to go out the first round. It, will it, may, it, will it, they win it, it this year? I don't know, but it, it depends on who they play. So it, it's real interesting because like the East has all of a sudden gotten very weird. You have Chicago, who has been just as good as Demar Derozan is. He's probably going to be second team All NBA. They've had so many injuries, and they just suck against Chicago. The can't beat anybody good. They yeah, can't. and they, but you see, I'm talking about the ratings though, the, or the standings a little bit, and you have Cleveland. I said if you a week ago I said I whoever Brooklyn's going to play they're going to be the A seed and everybody was looking at me like what I said Brooklyn I'm sorry as good as KD is they're not going to Toronto and beating Toronto 
They're just not. Kyrie can't play. It's going to be Kevin Durant, Seth Curry, and that's it because Ben Simmons isn't playing. Against that Toronto team in Toronto with Nick Nurse, that team is crazy defensively. And you see Pascal Siakam is just going ham on the entire NBA right now. I think he dropped 40 last night against Boston. There's no way Brooklyn will come back. They will play, what is it, the winner of Charlotte, Atlanta. They'll probably beat them, and they'll be, they'll be the A seed. And if they have to play Miami, I think they're going to beat Miami. I don't think, though, if they have to play Brooklyn or Philly – I'm sorry, if they have to play Philly or Milwaukee, I think that's a lot tougher matchup for them. I, I, I really do I, – Nathan, it depends on the matchup to answer your question. I, I, it's tough for me – to see them beating Milwaukee in a seven-game series with no Ben Simmons. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think the loss of Ben Simmons is going to hurt them in the playoffs. And right now, I'm looking at it, Brooklyn, yeah, it'd be Brooklyn-Cleveland. So Brooklyn will play Cleveland, and then they'll Brooklyn will probably be Cleveland, and they'll be the seventh seed. And as of today, they'll have to play Milwaukee. So that's just great. So. <laughs> I don't want to play Brooklyn. I'll tell you that right now. As a Bucks fan, I do not want to play Brooklyn. I, 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 I would be horrified to play Brooklyn. I, I, I just I, I just would be. And I know I know Boston's been great. Not not trying to, to rip on Derek. I don't know. That I are no. are they really going to be this good in the playoffs? Like is I don't Mark, know the is answer. Marcus to that Smart gonna be this good in the playoffs. Marcus Smart has probably you heard you heard every NBA analyst throughout this season up until what? January? Trade Marcus yeah, Smart. It, yes. Marcus yeah. Smart is off the team. It's gonna be him. And they decide to trade shooter and um uh, who's the other, who's the other guy they traded? Um, Josh, what's his name? Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson, yes. Also yes. trash, absolute yeah. trash. They trade those. No, two no, guys. no offense, Mark, Josh Richardson. Yeah. But. Marcus Smart ends up playing. Literally, he's on a, he's on a stretch right now where it's the best basketball of his career. How does that translate? I'm with you. How does all this stuff translate to the playoffs? I don't know. Time Lord now is I'll probably out for the rest of the playoffs. I I was never really that. I mean, Boston's really good. I mean, I'm worried about them, but I, I'm way more. Thousand percent more worried about Brooklyn. I still think it's Milwaukee and Brooklyn at the top, and I Philly's probably number three, with especially with all the turmoil, whatever the hell's going on in Miami. I'm I'm not close enough to follow that situation. Oh, what the hell's going on down there? <laughs> I'm loving what's going on in Miami. I, I think I'm Philly's Philly's probably number three. So we'll, yeah. we'll we'll have to see how it shakes out. We'll see, and then you and then you go out west, and Phoenix is just you know head and shoulders above everybody oh. else. I can't remember the last time. A team was this far ahead and this good, and Devin Booker isn't even going to be top three in the M- MVP. Like that is ridiculous. It's, it's crazy, and it, it, I will say though, is much as I love Milwaukee, I, I think that man, this this might be Phoenix's to lose. I, I would be anything but getting to the finals for Phoenix is just an utter failure. I think Memphis can lose in the second round. That's a great season as long as Chris Paul is right. Yeah, Chris I, Paul has to be right for them to do it, but I I would agree if he's there, I I, I would agree. Yeah, and this, this this time off might benefit him a little bit because um, I mean he's been off for what the last month month and a half, and you have Golden State just seems to especially with Wiseman not playing now now he's done for the year. Draymond hasn't looked great. Steph's out. Clay is so so. I mean you could theoretically be going into the playoffs with the best scorer on Golden State is Jordan Poole, but just because you don't know the status of Steph Curry, which is. I mean, shout out to my boy from Rufus King, but that is just uh, – that's crazy, man. It, it's going to be a fun NBA playoffs. I can't wait, dude. I cannot wait to watch more NBA basketball than I have over the last, like, five or six. I, I miss it. I miss it so much, Steve. I really do. 
I, I will say, man, it, 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 it's so fun watching college basketball because it's the pressure situation. It's it, it's all there. The emotion, the passion, the you know, the effort. It's all there. But you know, you see some of those. Nothing beats the NBA, baby. Nothing beats it. Nothing, nothing. You're not going to get uh, too many teams shooting like two for eighteen from three or, or like one for seventeen. But Nathan, you got the McDonald's All American game to watch, dude. I am going to probably do some laundry, maybe watch some more NBA, dude. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We know we love you, dude. Find you at Draft Deeper. No ceilings. You guys are doing phenomenal stuff. You guys are great for all your draft needs. Go see you guys, Nathan. I love you, buddy, and thank you so much for coming on. No, no, the pleasures, the pleasures all mine, Steve. Let me just give one more thank you to you and Brett and everybody else at the Overstated family who's helped me grow from the start and you guys are all my day ones so anything for you guys i love you buddy have a good night man thank you so much